Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest, both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. We've been in a series called Conversations. It's been a series on prayer, and and we've used this series as a way to try to kick us off this summer to inviting all of us to a summer of prayer where we grow in our understanding of how God wants to communicate to us. Today we're going to continue the series, and would you welcome uh, my wife, Wendy, who's going to help me uh, do the message today. Thanks. Wendy also serves as our small group's pastoral care and counseling pastor here as well, so take her away, Gary. Well, prayer for me can be intimidating, and I was very reluctant to pray, especially publicly. So when we had our first child, I moved to part-time work, and with the extra time that I thought I was going to have, I wanted to learn more about prayer, because even though I was a professional counselor working as a pastor, had a minor in theology, was involved in a lot of ministry, I was intimidated to pray, and I still can be. So I asked somebody who was gifted in prayer if they would mentor me, and we began a four-year journey of meeting weekly um, to help learn about prayer, especially intercession, while we were taking care of our kids, which would always add an interesting dynamic to the process. But my friend Nancy, she loved to pray. If she had free time, that's what she would do. She would stay inside and be happy to pray all day if possible. I, on the other hand, um, even over that four-year process, became more comfortable, even confident with prayer. But... I still didn't have the passion to pray like Nancy does. And because there are definitely people who are more, who are gifted to pray. It's just how they're wired. But all of us are asked to pray and to intercede. And intercession means that we just pray on the behalf of others. We stand in the gap to pray God's heart for a certain situation and for people. And all of us want to see prayers that change things. So how do we pray that's in a way that sees results? And so the first thing that is always the answer to every question is that we begin with Jesus, right? But Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our priest. It says he always lives to make intercession for us. And understanding that Jesus is praying for us leads us to this question. What if prayer is not about praying to God, but it's praying with God? And that just piques my curiosity because I know that Jesus knows what he's doing, right? And if I can agree with his prayer, I know the results are going to be really good. And so what is Jesus praying? You know, the Bible tells us to seek the Lord. Well, it doesn't mean that I'm lost or you're lost. It just means that we are told to seek and to look for God in every situation that we're in. So where is he? What is he doing? And we know that he's present because he never leaves. Sometimes we feel that on certain days, and sometimes we just have to trust that he's there. But God is always at work in every single situation. And we want to hear what Jesus is praying, and we want to grow in confidence that we hear him accurately. So we're going to briefly highlight some ways that we hear God later in the message. But first, how do we grow in confidence? Confidence comes from can come from several ways, but one of the major ways is learning to pray with authority. From the get-go, Adam and Eve were given authority over this earth, right? But through their disobedience, they gave authority over to Satan. But Jesus won it back. And it builds my confidence to pray when I know what kind of authority have we been given. So before Adam and Eve were were created, Satan was given gifts from God. Ezekiel 28 describes that Satan was an anointed angel. I mean, he may have been the highest of all angels. 
Romans 11 says that when God gives gifts, they are irrevocable. God did not take away gifts from Satan when he rebelled by wanting to be God, but what was taken away was Satan's authority. All that he had left was limited power due to those gifts that God had given him. He had no authority from God. And even though God has not given Satan any authority, when we or others choose to be choose to not be aligned with God, when we choose to sin, we give authority over to Satan in our lives. We give him access. But the beauty is, is that Jesus resolved this. And although all of us are imperfect, we all sin, we can walk in more confidence in the authority that God wants for us to walk as his kids. And this understanding helps remind me that Satan is really not that powerful. Because authority comes with relationship. For example, if you have no relationship to a boss of a company, you don't go into his company and start making big changes. You need the authority from the big guy in order to do that. And Jesus gave us the authority to do things in his company, in his world. And the closer that you are in relationship, the more authority you have, right? Satan is not in close relationship with God. But as followers of Christ, we are close to him. And we can be confident to pray with authority because we are under his authority. So, what kind of authority does Jesus give us? I mean, if we look honestly at what the scripture says, the authority that he gives us is really quite remarkable. I mean, so remarkable remarkable that none of us fully achieve it. All of us can create this as a huge aspirational goal for our lives. Matthew 10, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, as a command, heal the sick raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And then he says, freely you have received. We're going to talk about that in a second. What have we freely received? Uh, freely you have received, so freely give. Now, Jesus later on in, in uh, Matthew 28 in the Great Commission says, I want you, talking about us, t- talking to his disciples about us, he says, I want you to teach us to do all that I've commanded you to do. Meaning this command wasn't just for his disciples. It's a command that goes on all the other commands Jesus gives or commands that he wants all of us to walk in, the kind of authority that he describes there that lasts to us today. So what does he freely give us? Well, we've talked about that many times in many different ways, and just maybe three of the more important ones are he's adopted us as sons and daughters, and he's given us full inheritance rights with him as our father. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? And we talked about last last week the fact that he's placed his Holy Spirit, if you are a follower of Jesus, he's placed his very spirit, all of his complete, perfect power within you. See, walking in the authority Jesus gives us is learning to follow Jesus more closely, day by day, minute by minute, understanding his presence, understanding how he's communicating to us, because the authority that we walk in is his. It's not ours. It's his, but he freely gives that empowerment and asks us to walk more and more every day into that authority that he gives us. I found myself this last winter pondering an image from C.S. Lewis. In his sermon on the weight of glory, he, Lewis talks about how he believes that there is not so much a problem with our human desires being too strong, but being too weak. And so he says this, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I, the image that I saw was me sitting on the ground making mud pies, but instead of being at the sea, 
I was sitting on the ground by this amazing banquet table that was loaded with incredibly good things. Yet I was very content to sit on the ground making mud pies. And so I was thinking, like, why? Why? And I thought about it for several days. You know, I wanted what was on that table. I wanted it for my kids. I wanted it for everybody at Quest. But for me, I was just okay sitting on the ground making mud pies. So I talked to a friend about it, about my lack of energy and my passivity to sit at this table. And I asked her to pray for me because I want so much more for others. I want them to be able to experience more of what God has provided for. And my friend asked me, well, why don't you want to sit at the table? And I said, oh boy, isn't that just the way we can be as followers of Christ, that we can be content and passive? Maybe we call it playing it safe. We just sit on the floor making mud pies when we have access to so much more. And we don't do what it takes to sit at the table. We choose to live below our privilege. Because passivity so easily creeps in. And I think it creeps in easier in the winter months somehow in Ohio here. But passivity is never good in any relationship. It's not good in our workplace. It's not good in our marriage. It's not good with God. Passivity leads to inactivity. And we become unassertive with our faith and our circumstances. And when we just do the minimum, we just sit there with those mud pies, we are easily overcome. So after a lot of internal debate, I decided... I do want to sit up at that table, and I don't want to just do it for others, but I do want to do it for me. And although it's still a process, for me, sitting at the table looks like staying the same is not an option. I'm committed to being engaged in life rather than just observing it, which means I'm going to do a whole lot more celebrating and laughter. Um, I don't want to just help people get to heaven. I want to help them know and experience God here on earth. I don't want to be satisfied with just great human accomplishments. I want to encourage others and I want to be encouraged to take risks to believe God for incredible wonders and be okay with failing rather than playing it safe. And I want myself and I want all of us to be the ones to tell stories about the inconceivably cool things that God has done and not just hear about other people and their stories. Because to sit at the table requires some effort. And we know that the Christian life doesn't eliminate difficulties or challenges, but being passive doesn't either. And it's much less interesting and fulfilling. So no more mud pies, you know. I want the big girl chair at the table. And I, will, I think all of us want to sit at the table. And, but it says that we are going to be engaged. And engaged in following God, we become more and more confident. So what else builds our confidence? We are aware of both human and supernatural forces that may be affecting our current challenges. And we know that God is completely capable of bringing us through. Jeremy, in a previous message that he talked about the reality of evil and spiritual forces that are at work in this world, when he did a message on when you believe in God but don't think he's fair, the Apostle Paul reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but but principalities and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Um, This passage talks about us wearing the full armor of God so we can stand our ground. So I like how the Message Bible puts it, and we'll read it here. God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so that you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple hours. This is for keeps, a life-or-death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. 
Truth and righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. So not all of our um, struggles are due to spiritual forces. We know that because it's a broken world. We all have our own personalities and issues, and we can make plenty of problems on our own. We don't need Satan to do that. But clearly, Scripture says there are, there are um, spiritual forces that are affecting us. So when we recognize that there may be spiritual forces affecting our life, our situations, what do we do? How do we continue to walk in confidence that we have authority over these forces? Now, I've shared before that one of my favorite speakers, Graham Cook, he has greatly influenced my life over the last 20-plus years. I wanted you to see an example of how he learned about spiritual warfare as a young, fairly new Christian. First time I ever got into spiritual warfare was on the mission field. And I was out there with um, uh, four Baptist boys and a Methodist. (laughs) And me, who got saved out of a crime family. So we're all out on the mission field together, and we're, we're like, we get, we parachute into this uh, uh, valley, and our, basically our plan is to walk out 400 miles and preach the gospel. Yeah? Brilliant fun. <laughs> so <clears throat> so we, get, we get to this place, and uh, we get to this place, and this witch doctor comes out, and he's got skulls and body parts hanging off him. And he looks like nothing on earth. He looks grotesque, like something out of a movie. And he comes out. I don't understand the language, but I know a curse when I hear one. <laughs> so so <clears throat> everyone stops except me. I'm walking towards him. And I'm just, I've never seen anything like this. And um, I'm just learning about spiritual warfare. So it's like, well, I don't even know what to do right now. You know, so, but I'm not backing down. So I'm thinking, Lord, you got me into this. You're going to have to get me out of this. Otherwise, you and I will be shaking hands real quick. (laughs) So he's moving towards me. He's shouting and so on. And the whole village is cowering behind him. And I look around. And my companions are heading in the other direction. (laughs) So it's like me and him. And I'm just thinking, well, I'm not backing down. Lord, you're going to have to do something. And heaven is silent. I'm saying, Lord, give me something. And the only thing that pops into my head is when I was a kid, I used to go to a place in a northern town in England called Liverpool to a place called The Cavern where um, the Who, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Kinks and all those guys, you know, they were all young guys playing homemade instruments and I would just go and it was great fun. And I used to buy Mick Jagger a pint of beer because that's what we do in England. And so all I can remember at that moment is Mick Jagger singing, I can't get no satisfaction. It's the only thing that pops into my head. So I'm thinking, I haven't got anything else. So I start doing the whole Mick Jagger thing. <clears throat> it's, you know, 
When I'm driving in my car and a voice comes on the radio telling me more and more about some useless information supposed to drive my imagination, I can't get no! And that's all I'm doing. Satisfaction! That's, that's, and he takes one look at me, he screams out loud, and he heads for the hills and was never seen again. I have no idea what is going on or anything and I stop and I say to the Lord what just happened and all I can hear is the sound of him laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing like belly laughing like he's you just know he's drying his eyes with a handkerchief I'm saying what just happened he said that was the funniest thing ever I said, why didn't you say anything? He said, son, I wanted to teach you something. What? And, he, and he's quiet. He said, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Figure it out. So I'm standing there thinking, you want to... Oh, I get it. I could have the spirit of stupid on me and still win. I could be as dumb, I could be as dumb as anything, and I'm still strong enough to overcome something demonic. I get it. Your majesty covers everything. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I just love the humor that he and God have, and... Um, Graham shares that the real purpose for spiritual warfare is not to take authority over the enemy. That's a consequence. But spiritual warfare is to discover the sovereignty, majesty, and supremacy of Jesus Christ. That's sitting up to the table. And if you listen to Graham more, I mean, he didn't stop learning about spiritual warfare, thinking that you can just do a Mick Jagger impression or sing a pop song to every demon that you meet. But he knew that God let him, when he did something stupid, that God is competent he's utterly confident and we can remember that we can trust in the absolute awesomeness of god when we're under his authority right and so this example from africa hits home to me more since our oldest just came home from a mission trip in malawi africa and you know listening to his stories talk about how from day one spiritual warfare was a very much a part of their experience through the witches the witch doctors the strange occurrences i mean it was a significant part of the life of africans and as Americans and Westerners, I don't think that we give enough credit to the spiritual realm. I mean, this came home to me more when I was listening to an African Christian from Gambia who came to teach at Yale Divinity School. And he shared that the African comes from a world that's filled with spirits. It's almost the core of what an African is. And at Yale, they said, we welcome you and we affirm your cultural diversity. But they refuted the key aspects of his cultural experience by stating there are no spirits and there is no supernatural forces. They explained all the supernatural stuff away, yet they stated, we love cultural diversity. And so this African professor, he was encouraged to wear his African dress, but was discouraged to talk about his beliefs regarding the spiritual world. I mean, that's incongruent. And our Western culture can be pretty arrogant and minimize the reality of the spiritual realm. And although it may be more subtle than a witch doctor coming at you, um, spiritual forces affect us. 
And we want our, we want to be confident toward evil forces to be similar to David. And I love it. When he was a young boy or a teen, he received a prophetic word that he was going to be king someday. And he was so confident in that promise that when he ran toward Goliath, he saw a future beyond Goliath. He knew he was going to be king. And at some point, and so he knew that Goliath was just not going to have a very good day that day, right? He knew that he couldn't lose. And so spiritual warfare does not have to always be so daunting. It can be as simple as saying the name of Jesus. Um, I, as a young um, sixth grader who was a quasi-believer, I mean, I had made a commitment to Christ, but I didn't know I wanted him to affect my whole life. But I experienced a lot of horrible dreams, that they were like demons and all sorts of things coming at me, and I never even saw the movie Omen, okay? So I don't know how, but my dreams were tormenting. But somebody shared the scripture that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So I thought, in my dreams, I'm going to try to say Jesus. And in that sort of partially paralyzed state when you're trying to talk, I would just say the name of Jesus. And as a 12-year-old, I recognized the power of that name, just the name. I didn't have any more tormenting dreams. The simple declaration of Jesus' name changes things. And so when we face challenges, we look to see, what is God up to? What is Jesus praying We can stand with confidence knowing that he's given us authority. Our job is to discover how big, how supreme, how majestic he is. And Romans 12 says that we are to overcome, we're supposed to conquer, prevail evil with good. So the application of this truth is that when we sense that something's negative, we know that God has something good to replace it. So for every problem we face, God has a provision that he wants us to walk in. So when we pray... We don't pray the negative. We don't pray the problem. I mean, we can definitely let God know our feelings and concerns about it, but we learn to how, how to flip our prayers. So we learn to look at things the way that God looks at them. He is not wringing his hands and nervous up in heaven, right? So, for example, rather than praying, God, help John to not procrastinate, we can pray, God, help John to take initiative and feel confident in his decisions. And rather than, oh, God, help me not to be so angry, we can say, God, Thank you for your compassion and your peace. Help me to walk gentleness out in a way that's going to change things. Rather than, oh God, help this city, help this nation with all of its division and sin. Instead, we can pray, God, bring your wisdom, bring your truth, bring your freedom to every person, business, every organization. Because we want to pray in the opposite spirit, right? So our focus is on God. It's not on evil or negative. How big and majestic our God is over every situation. So we pray what his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when you enter a room, be it at work or when you walk into your home or when you walk in your neighborhood, you bring the power and authority of God with you. His presence in you can shift the atmosphere. And instead of negativity, anxiety, depression, you can learn to flip it. God, let your hope and truth and peace invade every person in this room. We learn to flip it and flip it good. I know it's supposed to be whip it, right? But anyway, it works better that way. So anyway, but walking in authority doesn't take years of training um, or wisdom. Um, Years ago when Ross was a cult consultant, like he was talking about, there was a board made up of incredibly strong personalities, and they were going to make decisions that were going to affect all the churches, which would be thousands of people. And we were not sure that this board meeting was going to go really well. So the night before we took um, the board meeting, we decided to take all of our kids because we couldn't leave them at home. They were little. And we wanted to go pray in the boardroom before just because it's sometimes easier to get a sense of direction of the prayer when you're in there. 
And so because they were little, we wanted to encourage them to participate, but we brought toys that they could play with afterwards. So we thought maybe for a few minutes they would, you know, pray with us. And we asked them to pray. I mean, they were really little. Um, I think the oldest was maybe eight. Um, so we asked them to pray with no more explanation than some, some men were going to make some important decisions. So one of our kids was about five, and her head didn't even reach the top of the board table. And it was just interesting because she was the first one to pray. She pounded her fist on the table and said, God, let them know that you are God. (laughs) And we were like, oh, my gosh. where That's uncharacteristically loud of her and pretty direct. And so we looked at each other, and we were just touched by that confidence that she had. And it shifted something. You could tell in that declaration. And Ross and I looked at each other. It was done. It was the easiest intercession we've ever done in our life. You know, so I was like, oh. So, um, and the fruit of what, of it was that that was an amazing board meeting, wasn't it? It was really positive. So prayer doesn't have to be that hard. It doesn't have to be so daunting. And you don't need to be old to, in order to pray with authority. So let's talk more just a second about how we grow in confidence in hearing God. Uh, knowing how his spirit communicates with us in a way that we are really, really confident in it. Brad Jerzak, I think, gives a great analogy. He uses the analogy of a three-legged stool. And he says the first leg on that stool is to take what you feel like you hear from God and test it against the Bible. Is it, is, the Bible is the inspired word of God. What does the Bible tell us about it? And I realize some of you are not fully convinced yet in your faith that the, the Bible is completely reliable. I understand that and I just invite you to keep on that journey to test it out and to see and let God prove that to you. What I do get disappointed with though is how many American educa- educators and how much, how the media has so poorly researched opinions and biased opinions that end up getting fomented by people. I hear every day people who struggle with the Bible giving me things that are so far from the reality of truth. 90% of our problems with the biblical text go away through a simple historical scientific criticism lesson to even understand how reliable it is. And the rest of them, most of the rest of them go away when we actually begin to understand how to look at the Bible and read it for the perspective that it really is, not what we think it should be. Uh, That's for another time. The point today is, uh, in fact, if you want to know more about that, let me just recommend you go back to uh, uh, around October, September 2013. There's a great message there on the authority of the Bible and Scripture and why it can be reliable. But our point today is simply this. God will never tell us to do something that is contrary to what the Bible teaches or the intent of what the Bible teaches. Now, we understand, all of us, we understand the Bible doesn't specifically address absolutely every decision we're going to make. It doesn't tell us whether to buy a $40,000 car or a $15,000 car, right? It doesn't get that specific. But the Bible does give us clear principles for us to weigh our hearts and our motives, for us to evaluate our relationships, and it gives us an abundance of wise principles on how to handle finances. So God will never tell us to do something that the Bible says is wrong, not right. Leg two is the followers of Jesus. And what you're asking in this evaluation of what you feel like God is saying is, do the people I know who are followers of Jesus, especially those that I know that are further along in their growth in God than I am, do they think this is a wise decision? When we pray together with them or when they pray for me about it, do they see how this relates and is consistent with the Bible? Do they agree with that? Do they, do they have a sense of God affirming it? Do they, the people who know me really well, understand and feel like the timing 
of this is really right for who I am and what God's doing in my life. We let other people speak into our life. You know, we talked about last week how it's really easy for us to just see our wants and believe that God wants us to have our wants instead of having an objective checkpoint in our life to understand what God is really saying. And the greatest lesson, I think, for many of us in actually learning to trust and be confident in hearing God's voice is this lesson of learning to trust that God will actually speak to us and confirm what he's saying through other believers around us. Now, sometimes that means I'm going to go to people I know and I'm going to sit down with them and I'm going to say, this is what I think God is saying. What do you think? And they're going to give me direct, real, real direct feedback and a real direct conversation. Other times, I'm going to wait silently. I'm going to write that in my journal. I'm just going to keep it in my head and I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to wait for God to speak to others. Because there's a lot of things that in life that it requires others to agree with me or to come along with me for that to really be God doing it. So if that's true, then God's going to speak to others and I can trust that he's going to put that same desire in them. So sometimes I wait silently for him to bring that confirmation in others. The third leg is simply the leg of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells this amazing story about the confidence we can have in hearing God's voice in uh, John 10. And he says this, he says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And then skipping a little bit forward, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Do you hear the personal relationship in that and the confidence that Jesus is trying to help us to have? Later in John 14, 26, he says the advocate, the counselor, the helper, different ways to translate the word that he's saying there, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, often the church, especially in America, for some reason, decides that the only way to really hear God's voice or the only way to verify that God's actually speaking to us is through uh, correct doctrine or through the Bible. But, but Jesus is saying something very different than that here. He's not refuting the Bible's authority as a, as a solid leg, but what he's saying is the Holy Spirit has something much more personal of an interaction to have with us. He says every believer can hear God's voice and every single one of us can be confident of when it's the Holy Spirit and when it's not if we just press into that. This three-legged stool is the Bible and the followers of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And when all three of those things are together, we can be pretty confident that God's actually speaking to us in that. But the point of, but, but, but we have to hold those all together in balance. Cause I don't know about you, but if you've ever played around with a, with a three-legged stool without the little balance supports going between all three legs and holding them together, usually it ends up being one gets more off kilter and you, you tip and you fall over because you get out of balance on that. But there's one more thing as well from this image that we can pay attention to. When we have confidence because we've gone through saying, I think this is what God's saying, and all three of those uh, uh, legs of the stool confirm that, we've got to sit there. We've got to, we've got to, let's call it abide there. We've got to trust and have confidence that that's what God has said. 
to us. We have to be faithful with that, still listening, still open to him giving us more information and how it's going. But whether it's, whether it's like a promise that God gave Abraham that takes our entire life to be fulfilled, we need to sit there. Or whether it's a promise that we get and it's quickly fulfilled, God asks us when we're confident to sit there, to trust him. And, and, and as we learn to do that, we grow in confidence. When we sit on that stool and it's balanced and we're confident and sit securely. Now, as we sit there as well, there's one more test we can do. We can continue to test things and by asking the question, the fruit question, what is the fruit of our understanding of what God is trying to say to us? What, what is the fruit of this being lived out? Does it grow our lives or does it grow other people's lives? Does it bring greater peace, greater good, greater joy, greater healing to other people's lives, or does it bring greater anxiety or worry or damage for life? We can continually ask that, but we can learn to be confident, but it requires that we're sensitive, we're open, and we're also willing to test everything we hear and allow these three things to be part of that process. So let's just summarize for a second this series, and worship team, go ahead and come on up. We've talked throughout this series of the importance of prayer, and we've talked about it because I believe that God wants to challenge all of us to a summer of growing in prayer. And I really want you to take that challenge, to have a summer of growing in prayer. And prayer is just simply cultivating a continual awareness of God and His presence, how He's communicating, how He's interacting with us, what He's doing, so we can join Him in doing what He's doing and walk in that power and authority. So we talked about just developing this habit of praying first. Praying first in everything we do. Before we get out of the car and walk in when we're coming home from work, we pray first. Before we go into that next appointment, we pray first. Before we do anything, we pray first. Just these little short turning of our attention to God, turning our heart. They can be short questions. They can be short praises. They can just be a momentary turn and say, God, where are you in this next moment of my day today? We also talked about learning to use the Lord's Prayer, not as a memorized prayer like many of us were taught growing up, but as an outline to guide how we pray so that we can breathe new life into our prayer life. We talked about through this series how we need to learn to trust God's presence and His power, trust the authority He's given us that, that, that He wants to do, as we talked about last week, immeasurably more, immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, which means we're going to take risks because it's far more than we're comfortable with right now. So will we take risks in learning to pray? Will we step out in that and trust that, trust that God, the final thing is trust that God wants to communicate with you, that he wants you, every one of you here, to be confident in knowing exactly how he's communicating with you and walk in that kind of confidence in your life. You know, uh, God can speak to us in many ways. He can speak to us uh, through where our minds and our feelings are landing in the moment. Uh, he can he can orient that for us. And and if our if our hearts and our minds or our feelings are landing in a negative place, then he wants us to learn to process that, but flip it and understand his process that he wants to do, his promise and then the good he wants to. Do. God's going to speak to us as we read the scripture. 
He's going he's to draw our minds and our attention to certain things. He's going to speak through us through pictures. And maybe you'll close your, close your eyes and you'll see a picture. Or maybe at night you'll have a dream and it'll be from him. Or maybe a word will come to mind. Or, 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 or a word from another one that, that uh, one of your friends is hearing God. And, and they say, I think God's saying this word to you. Or maybe it's going to be a physical sensation or an impression. All of those ways are ways that God says and demonstrates in the Bible that he can and does speak to us. If you ask for him to speak to you, expect it. Expect it. And then test what you hear. Even if you lack complete confidence going, I don't know if this is God. Expect it and then test it. And you'll be safe in learning to grow in that confidence of what God is doing. But it takes us being open. Let's, let's just close for a second here and pause. And I want you to, if you, again, if you need to close your eyes just for your own uh, prevention of ADD, distraction, or whatever, you can keep them open if you want. It's up to you. But I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit, where are you speaking to me through today's message or this series? What do you want me to grow in? Where do you want me to focus? Maybe for some of you that might not be a question you can ask right now. Maybe some of you came in today and you had an issue really strongly on your mind and it's just been, it's just something you need an answer to. Uh, then maybe instead of asking the question about the series, ask God right now, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me? And expect Him to respond and then test it over the coming weeks. I'm going to give you just a moment. Lord, I pray that you'd come and continue to pour your spirit out in us. Lord, you've already said if we're followers that your spirit is within us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to release that power through prayer. That we'd understand to look and see how you're working in us, how you're speaking to us. And Lord, I thank you for your promise that you want every single one of us here to be 100% confident of how you speak to us. Lord, we know we all fall short of that, but we accept that invitation today. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would rise up in each one of us, that we would overcome the the hesitancy that we have, those things we think about ourselves that prevent us from from taking the risks of praying and believing and, and, and believing that you want to speak to us. And Lord, that your spirit would come and create in us this courage and this strength to act with you. To see great things. For us to have the stories of prayer being answered. For us to have, each one of us, to have the stories of you answering prayers for healing emotionally, physically, for you answering prayers of provision, for you answering prayers for our five that they would be saved and they would come to know the freedom of your grace and your love, that you would come to us and our children, that our children would grow up to be people who are confident in hearing your voice and walking with you, that it's more than just rules, that it's more than just morality, that it becomes this amazing, empowered relationship. So, Lord, I pray that you'd pour your spirit out on us right now in a special way. 
You're already with us, but Lord, I pray that you would well up within us more and that you would make this for us a summer that we would look back on and go, we learned how immeasurably more good, how measurably good more, more however you say that, you are. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Be with us as we continue to worship now. In Jesus' name, amen. Grateful you're here today. And uh, as a continued portion of application for our message and for our season of prayer, I'm going to continue to ask you to get a little bit out of your comfort zone. The last few weeks I've asked you to raise your hand if you have something you want prayer for, whether it's healing, whether it's provision, whether it's a job. Today, if there's anything at all you are asking God for where you need his wisdom and direction in a decision, Lord, I want, and then you just say, I need to hear from God on this. I want you to raise your hand. And I want us to believe as people to begin even now just taking this risk and look around you, see who's got their hands up. I want us, before we leave today, to all go to one of these people and pray and see what God says and see what God does. Let's just practice this. Let's believe that His Spirit is within us, that He wants to flow out of us, that He's going to speak to us, that He's given us the authority to pray over these things and help each other. So again, raise your hand if you want prayer. Everybody else, look around. And before you leave today, as we close the service, would you go and pray with them? Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.